Good morning again. As far as our uh, regular services for Turner Christian Church goes, today is a break from our summer series on what does the Bible say about, uh, because we are focusing on the theme for this convention, which is a good endurance. And it makes perfect sense that we would uh, have a, a convention this year on endurance after the year and a half that we have had to endure. But the funny thing about endurance, uh, it, most things that we have to endure is that we don't see them coming, which is why the convention on endurance is at the, turns out it's at the end, towards the end of this uh, experience that we have had rather than the beginning. It sure would have been handy to have the endurance convention a year and a half ago. And so it was, it was actually interesting that as we're here gathered to talk about how to endure difficult times that I received word that we had finally gotten an announcement about the end of the regular mask and social distancing mandate, which will be uh, ha- happening later this week. And so what that means is that for, for us, the one thing that we have all had to share in terms of endurance seems to be coming to an end. And for me, that changes what we're talking about as we look at a good endurance, what it means to endure well, because we're, not, we're, we're looking at it from a different angle. The, what I want to talk about today is looking back and asking not just how can we endure well, but specifically, did we endure well? And how do we know whether we endured well? There is a rumor that the ways of God are mysterious, that he works in mysterious ways and that we don't know what he's doing or why we experience suffering. And that rumor is partially correct, that God is usually doing things that are mysterious and that we don't understand. But I would argue, and the author of Hebrews, who wrote our, um, the chapter that we've been focusing on, would argue that not all of his ways are mysterious. We are not completely in the dark about what God is doing. We can know at least part of what God uh, wants from us in a time of endurance. And so I'm going to read you uh, a passage from later in chapter 12. If you have your Bibles open, uh, you can open them to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 7, looking at this uh, passage to understand what does good endurance look like. How can we judge that our endurance has been good? The author of Hebrews writes, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, and this is the key, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The author of Hebrews is telling us something fairly profound if we have eyes to see it. He is telling us that when we endure suffering, when we endure hardship, when we have to endure and God allows us to experience a time of endurance, 
it is often discipline. And we know that, and we think, well, we think that we don't know what we're being disciplined for. I've often visited people in hospitals who will say, I don't know why God is doing this. And I, that is a completely valid feeling. Absolutely. But I can tell you that there is one thing, at least according to the author of Hebrews, that God is always doing in those times. And that is, he is producing in us a harvest of righteousness and peace. And so as we are pivoting into the question of, did we endure well? Have we endured well? The question is, have we produced a harvest of righteousness and peace? I'm going to take this in a couple of parts. And the first part that we, we see here is that a good endurance, according to the author of Hebrews, produces the fruit of righteousness. Now, as I was looking at this passage, I, I, did, I did a search. I got this new Bible software. I did a search. What is the fruit of righteousness? What fruit does righteousness bear? Couldn't really find an answer. I could find some answers that didn't, didn't quite seem to make sense. And as I did more study, I realized that talking about fruit of righteousness is a common thing in the Bible. There's multiple places where it talks about harvesting righteousness or the fruit of righteousness in the Old and New Testament. And the reason why this language is used is because the biblical sense of righteousness is different, almost the opposite of our sense of righteousness. We think that a righteous person is a person who does righteous things. And that's why we think a person can't be righteous because we can't do enough righteous things. And so Jesus makes us righteous because he did enough righteous things to cover us all. The problem with that is that the Bible calls people righteous long before Jesus comes on the scene. It says that there are people who are righteous. That is because the word righteous in the Bible means something different. It does not mean a person who has done enough righteous things. That's actually backwards. The word righteous, it, actually, it doesn't refer to a person who does certain things. It refers to a person who has a certain kind of relationship with God. Righteousness means you are in right relationship with God. It's kind of like being on a playground. Do you remember how friendships worked on the playground? How you would be best friends, but then you get into a fight, and it was important to declare to the entire playground, we are not friends anymore. This person is not coming to my birthday party. You remember those dramatic moments you would make these declarations. In that moment when you are not friends anymore and that person is disinvited to your birthday party, they are not right in right relationship with you, right? The two of you are not in right relationship. To be declared righteous is to be said that you are in the right relationship with God. That means that you are trusting in him, that you are obeying him, that you are behaving, you have the relationship that you should have with a creator. That's righteousness. And the thing is that when you have that kind of relationship, it changes your behavior and that is the fruit See, what we think of is that righteous deeds make a righteous person, which is kind of like saying that I could take a bushel of apples and staple them to an elm tree and make it an apple tree. That's not how fruit works. Apples come from apple trees. And so what he's saying, the author of Hebrews is saying, is that endurance trains us in having a right relationship with God and we can see that right relationship with God when it bears fruit in our behavior that we are behaving in godly ways. I can tell you how endurance, at least in my experience, helps us to become, be in right relationship with God. I, uh, in the, over the past few years, took up running. 
I found that I really needed to get significantly healthier, and by the grace of God, I was able to, and it involved a lot of running, and I was not a runner. And the first run was hard. The first run was the hardest. And, but each run got a little bit easier to do. It got a little bit easier to wake up at 6 a.m. so I could run before going to work. And the reason is because every time I ran, I taught myself two things. One, I can run without dying. And two, I feel better having run. So even when it feels bad to wake up at six in the morning and it feels bad to do that running and I get blisters on my feet and and my headphones are dead so I have to run in silence, I endure that because I know I can do it and it will be better that I did. And the same thing happens when we have these experiences of walking with God is each time we stick through it and we do the right thing and we trust God and we obey God, two things, at least two things happen. One is we learn that by the grace of God, it can be done. That we can do the right thing even when it's hard. And two, we learn that it was worth doing. And as we learn that we can trust God and we come out of it the other end in better relationship with God, that helps us to be able to do the right thing the next time we have to wake up at six in the morning and go for a run. The next time it comes up. This is how we are trained in righteousness. A good endurance produces the fruit of righteousness, which is godly behavior in challenging situations. And this is really, really important for us to get. It is really, really important for us to get because, as we learned, because the convention two years ago was not about endurance, we don't always know what's coming up. And it's really important for us to learn the lessons from the discipline that God gives us for the sake of the next time. And the reason why that is so important is pointed out to us by the author of Hebrews a little later in the chapter. He says in verse 16, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Now, this is one of those passages, there's some debates in Hebrews about whether the author of Hebrews thinks you can lose your salvation. And this is one of those places where we start to think, oh, what's he saying? He's saying that there's a point where God will no longer forgive us. But that's not what's happening with this Esau story. You have to remember what actually happened. So, Isaac is the leader of the family of God. He has two sons, and one of them is going to inherit the blessing to carry on the, that position in the family of God. Esau is the older one. It should go to him. But in a moment of weakness, Esau fails to prioritize that and he's really hungry and he gives away his birthright to Jacob for the sake of a bowl of stew. And later on, Jacob is also able to weasel his way in to get the blessing. And, and J, uh, or Jacob gets the blessing and Esau comes back and he is weeping and he begs his father to bless him. And his father refuses to give him that blessing, not because his father is fed up with Esau or Esau's out of chances, but because that blessing can only be given once and it has already been given. The opportunity is lost and Esau must live with the consequences of his decisions of his choices. And that is true for us. Our eternal fate, you know, we can always, God can always save us at any point in our lives, but our actions have consequences that cannot be taken back. 
If COVID is almost over, then that means the church's response to COVID is written in history and it cannot be changed. And my generation and the generations after me will live with the consequences, good or bad, of how we've handled it. And we came into this with no roadmap. We came into this with no training. And now that we've experienced a pandemic, there's nothing we can do about how we handled it. It's written in history. I, you know, I think there were good things about how we handle it. I think there were bad things about how we handle it. I think that different people handle it in different ways. And, and, and it is a mixed bag, as it usually is with humanity. But it is written in stone. It cannot be changed. It has happened. God can redeem it in the future, but that is redeeming what is... So, what that means is that it is especially important for us to learn from every experience of endurance that we are given. Because, every, you know, so many things happened to you before COVID that you didn't know were preparing you for this. The way they were preparing you was by training you in righteousness. And this past year and a half is training you for endurance ahead. You know that just because we don't have to wear masks or social distance soon, we're not done enduring things in our lives. So the question about what did you endure well is, did you learn to trust and obey God? And did you learn to make godly choices in hard situations? That is part of how we know whether or not we endured well. The second thing that is key to evaluating our endurance is that a good endurance produces the fruit of peace. The word peace in the biblical languages refers not just to the absence of conflict, but wholeness, completeness, and not just to an individual or, a, or to, between two people, but to a community. It, re, it refers to harmony, might be a, a fuller um, translation. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that God prioritizes peace as one of the things that he teaches us. That it is constantly something that God is trying to teach us. Are we aware of that? That, God is con- that peace is constantly a priority for God. In Hebrew, in, later in the book of Hebrews, or in that same chapter, in verse 14, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Make every effort. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Psalm 34.14 says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Harmony in our communities, harmony in our fellowships, harmony among human beings is always a priority for God. And I think we too easily cast that aside when things get hard. Which is tragic if one of the reasons why God allows us to experience hard things is to produce in us a fruit of peace. I don't know about any of you, but I have a much higher value on hugs than I did a year and a half ago. A hug and a handshake. I did something unwise. I started keeping track in March of last year and saying, I owe you a handshake. I owe you a handshake. I don't have enough time in my life to pay back all the handshakes that I owe after a year and a half. 
I did not realize it was going to take that long. And I value that. And I value the congregation that has been so kind and generous with me in going through all of the challenges that we've had and all of my stumbling and bumbling to react to things that I was not trained for in seminary. I have a profound gratitude for my church family, for my family at home, for the family that I wasn't able to visit because of COVID. Those relationships are so much more important to me. I realize how important they are in ways I never did before. What that tells us is that a good endurance produces the fruit of peace, which is a passionate dedication to fellowship with others. We are supposed to come out of this dedicated to harmony in our communities, to harmony in our fellowships, to getting through things together. Now here's the really countercultural part. And I mean counter to church culture. Point number three that we should learn from this is that a good endurance produces peace, righteousness, and peace. That these two are paired together, which was surprising to me because as Christians, we don't often pair them together. But scripture does constantly. Psalm 8510 says, love and faithfulness meet each other. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isaiah 3217 says, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And James 3, 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That is countercultural in the church because I would say that the misguided quest for righteousness is one of the most divisive things in the church. We have this thing as Christians that we do where we say, we decide if there is a person who becomes an obstacle to righteousness, either my righteousness or the community's righteousness or their own righteousness even, somehow I'm suddenly given permission to write them off as subhuman. I can treat them in ways I would never treat someone because I've decided that they're an obstacle to righteousness and that validates it. I had a pastor friend tell me that a member of his congregation who's also a friend, when he found out that they were going to be enforcing masks in the congregation, called him to his face a servant of the Antichrist. And I'm sure that at that time, he thought he was the one being righteous. And, and I am, will be the first one to say that people have different interpretations of Scripture. They have different understandings of God's will. And so that was probably consistent with his understanding. But the red flag should have been that even if that was righteous, it was not peaceful. And in Scripture, it says that righteousness and peace go together. That means that our pursuit of righteousness always needs to be compatible with peace. And our pursuit of peace always needs to be compatible with righteousness. Because what will often happen as Christians is we will say, well, this is righteousness and they're getting in the way, so they're not our brothers and sisters. Or we will say, well, that's righteousness, but that's getting in the way of peace, so let's not care about righteousness. In Scripture, they go together. So, as we ask ourselves, have we endured well? Question one is, are we bearing fruit of righteousness? Question two is, are we bearing the fruit of peace? And question three is, are the righteousness and fruit that we have borne compatible? Because if you said yes to one and no to the other, that's not yet a passing grade. They go together. Now, 
as I said, it looks like our response to COVID is quickly becoming a matter of the history books, which on one side, amen for that, hallelujah. But on the other side, you may, after what I've been saying, be feeling a bit down about that as we look back and judge where we've been and how we've done. Because it is written in stone. I don't know about you, but I wasn't perfect. And my goal today is not to make you feel terrible and tell you you have failed and lost an opportunity that's gone forever and now you have to repeat the course, right? I'm not saying that you failed the exam and you have to go through a whole nother semester of classes, a whole nother experience like what's happened before. And here's why, here's why. Because a fully scriptural understanding of the way this uh, uh, peace and righteousness are produced in us needs to have one more piece to it. And for this, I'm going to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 34, this is, uh, sorry, 32. This is a prophecy about what it's going to be like to the people of Jerusalem when the city is destroyed. And here's what he says in verse 14. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. The city of God is going to be full of sheep and donkeys, which means there's going to be grass to eat on the steps, on the streets. Right? It's going to be in shambles until, until the spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. You may look back to adopt the metaphor of this passage on the last year and a half, and after what I've said in this sermon, it looks like a desert. It looks like you got everything wrong. It looks like you constantly made the wrong choices. What Isaiah is telling us is that God brings life to the desert. That the righteousness and peace that we are able to produce are implanted in us by God. And if it wasn't too late for the city of Jerusalem, it's not too late for us. What that means is that each one of those failures can be redeemed by God into fruit. Each one of those failures, each one of those mistakes can be redeemed by God into greater godliness, into greater patience, into greater peace, into a greater understanding of who God is. Ultimately, we are not able to fix the world simply by what we learn in our own minds by sufferings like we've endured. It's not simply that we just learn to do better, but that God does better things in us, better than we can do. And so I want you to have hope because this is not the only place where something like this is said. In Hosea chapter 10, he encourages the people of Israel. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Our hope to be better people, more righteous people, more peaceful people comes from God. And ultimately, that's what leads me to our theme passage for this convention. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are two ways to read that verse, that we are supposed to consider Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But I think there's another way we can truthfully read that, which is that Jesus endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our strength and our endurance has a divine source in Jesus Christ. None of us knew this was going to be a year and a half when it started, and we are still here. I am honored and overjoyed to be with you today and to have experienced this convention that we've been through. We are still here. We are still called by God. We are still doing his work and he is still working in us to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and I'm going to ask you to reflect as we sing uh, this, as we have this last opportunity to sing, be honest in your heart. Have you endured well? I should rephrase that because it's not a yes or no. How well have you endured? Be honest with yourself because you can take that answer and let it be a roadmap for where you need to go, where God needs to lead you. Take stock of that and commit to walking the path that is ahead of you that leads you into peace and righteousness. I ask you to reflect on that as we sing.